Welcome back to Like a Bigfoot Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week, we are sitting down with Matthias Eichler, and we are going to talk all things trail running. So we're going to go everything from uh, his project where he ran every single street of Olympia, Washington, um, all the way to the rim to rim to rim uh, at the Grand Canyon. Um, super excited. Matthias is obviously a very passionate, uh, trail runner, uh, definitely a part of the trail running community, uh, out there in Washington. So, uh, yeah, I was psyched to sit down and chat with him, kind of, uh, share some ideas about this awesome sport and why we love it so much. Um, so we're just going to jump right into the episode. This is like a Bigfoot podcast number 323 with Matthias Eichler. Um, Matthias, can you say your whole name so I don't mess it up? Yes, it's Matthias, Matthias Eichler. <laughs> I already messed it up. <laughs> Matthias. I think you should leave that part in, in <laughs> and you should start the show of that way. <laughs> yeah, that, that wouldn't be surprising. So Matthias, and say your last name Eichler. again. Eichler. I'll try my best. It's all good. <laughs> I've heard it all. I've got people, I've got guests on who, you know, they think when we have this great conversation and then all the way to the end, they thank me and I mispronounced my name and I was like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> but I mean, I also don't correct them. So it's fine. <laughs> um, all right, we'll just get started. All right. I am so excited, super honored to have Matthias Eichler on the podcast. Matthias, I hope I didn't mess up your name there. Nailed you, it. You, you, you got it right. <laughs> Very impressive because you just practiced before we hit record. And yeah, the first the first tries didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to, to chat with you about all sorts of things uh, about, you know, just trail running in general. Um, I thought a cool place to start, though. I was looking through the runs that you've taken on over the last, you know, six or seven years at this point. And the one that really, I mean, there's a bunch that stood out to me, but one of them that stood out was the every single street of Olympia, uh, Washington. Can you kind of talk about that? I know the idea of every single street, uh, came up, at least I first heard about it from Ricky Gates doing it in San Francisco. Um, and I just want to hear like, what inspired you to do that? So, yes, that's exactly how I learned about it, too. I followed him on Twitter and Instagram, and he started sort of encouraging other people to do their cities. And I looked at Olympia, the size of the city, and I'm I'm, I'm not a professional runner. I can't dedicate 40 miles every single day for six weeks and have San Francisco in my bag, <laughs> right? I mean, you... There, I have a friend of mine who's been doing it in Tacoma, and Tacoma is so much bigger and sprawly in many yeah. areas. And he's not been like sticking with it dedicatedly, but it's taking him like two and a half years. And I didn't want to drag out this project so long. So Ricky sort of inspired me. I started doing it. I'd never really done a road running project per se. Um, and so I wanted something for the winter, for training, for um, yeah, something new and different. And so I jumped on it, started in my neighborhood where I knew the, the streets um, well, so I could sort of go blind at first and then like totally geeked out and probably spent more time planning each route in order to connect them properly and taking it into from one mapping app into the other mapping app into the other mapping app so in order to connect it all. So I probably spent more time um, like on the logistics side than on the actual running side, but it was an incredible project. Yeah. What was, I mean, besides like when you first heard about Ricky's, what was the thing that kind of like stuck with you that you're like, oh man, I want to try this, you know? Well, I mean, it was a very personal time for me. My dad had just passed away after years of being sick and he was back in Germany and I couldn't go over to the funeral. And so it was a difficult time where I sort of wanted a special project to focus on, but at the same time, not a project that um, 
that was like really about training and about going out hard and sort of like setting like some monster goals. I just wanted to sort of like, hey, I'm just going to do this and be in my own head and sort of run like every call the sack and sort of like just like, you know, do something. And I mean, I fell in love with it. I mean, you know, Olympia is a small enough city, 40,000 uh, people live here 40,000 ish and we are sort of bordered by two other cities that don't allow us to sprawl because yeah. that's where this sort of this every single street project can get really tricky if you live in a town that has like yeah there's like you know if you look at this official city map there's like this one road and it goes like 50 miles one way <laughs> right I mean it's like, how do you logistically combine some of the sprawly outer sites they're not very fun off of no curbs, but yeah. the city running was super fun. Yeah. Well, I feel like that whole concept is such a personal idea. Like you're going to do a city that has a personal connection with you. Like you just, yeah. you're not going to just randomly look at a map and point at a city. Like people are going to do the ones that they live in or they're somehow connected to. Um, did you find like a new respect for your town? Absolutely, on, on all levels, right? I mean, it was fantastic to just do my immediate neighborhood because I knew so much of it and it gave me like, oh yeah, I do know these places. But even then, you know, you have your daily runs and you always go down the street and you never go down the street yeah. two blocks over, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you do this and you're like, oh, why did I never run on that street? That's actually nicer, right? So you 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 learn some of those small things and then you learn little pocket we learn about pocket parks and weird little connector trails yeah and um you know i did it during the winter time so it was holidays so there were certain neighborhoods that i'd never been in before and they had like these amazing christmas lights yeah. and um and again it was not just the running and actually being on the road it was also the planning right sort of this oh it's friday four o'clock i'm not gonna go on my run that would lead me now around the mall because it's the friday before christmas and it's gonna be <laughs> madhouse right let me try to find another one right i sort of like try to sort of logistically plan out this whole thing and as this sort of came together and you saw the map filling in it felt really rewarding um just for myself to sort of accomplishing that while at the same time, obviously getting to know the city, right? Yeah, that's so cool. I only, I was, I, as soon as I saw Ricky's, uh, like whole, like short film about it, I was like, man, what city could I do, you know? And the one that came to mind for me was my grandpa grew up in like a town of like, or my dad grew up in a town of 60 people in Iowa, like Southern Iowa. Nice. I'm like, I yeah. think I could do that town. I think I could do it maybe in a day <laughs> so i don't know someday i kind of want to go back and, and give it a shot you know it's i mean it's it is a tricky thing ricky made a tricky thing ricky, it is a tricky, tricky thing in in a sense that you um if the town if the city is too big then you're yeah. committing to something that might <laughs> potentially really affect your training and you sort of have to revisit it perhaps even abandon it for a couple months or so right and if the city's too small, then you'd set it out and like after five days, you're done, right? Yeah. I think Olympia, um, from a size, it took me about two and a half months, fairly comfortably. I mean, concentrated, but I did have yeah. a couple other runs in between. And so I think it was a good winter project. And as a fun fact, when Ricky sort of put the challenge out, I started sort of responding to him in social media, sharing and you know, on with the hashtags of my progress. And so Rick and I started talking about it. And then because I completed it so shortly after he completed his, it was sort of still in this time frame. He was like super excited about it. And he sent me his watch as a thank you. So no I'm way. still up until to this, to this <laughs> day, I'm still my daily watch that I'm wearing is Ricky's watch. And it wasn't even like he is sponsored by Sunto. So it wasn't even a brand new watch that like Sunto shipped. It was like packaged all personal by himself. That's and it cool. was like, um, yeah, it was a watch that I don't know. Ricky might have worn that watch crossing the country. I don't know. Yeah. That's so cool, man. I know. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome, dude. I love that. Well, I do want to hear just a kind of like a kind of a brief summary. Like, how did you get into trail running and all of this ultra running kind of kind of sport and community? Really, like you seem like you're a real community driven guy, which is really cool. So, yeah, how did what was kind of like the quick version of that? 
That's no quick version. I mean, I <laughs> it's a it's ultra I'm, running. There is no quick. I, I know exactly. Let's have an eight station first because the next stretch is going to be a long one. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't grow up running. I grew up in, back in Germany doing a whole bunch of sports, but never with a coach, never collegiate, never really focused. Everything was always just for fun. And then come over here and you get older in terms of busy with life and kids and stuff. And you realize that the, the team sports don't really work because it's hard to schedule. You, yeah. I, I always self-proclaimed hated running. This idea of putting one foot in front of the other without a soccer ball in front of it, made, it didn't make sense. And eventually it was like, well, I'm getting fat. I have to run. I have to do something. Right. And so we started running and realized it, it was also the time when podcasts were sort of starting to kind of creep themselves into phones and you could start tracking your runs. So there was sort of a geeky side to it. Yeah. Um, and so I really enjoyed that. But I always said, never road races. This doesn't make any sense. I don't want to run for 5K around the city block. Um, and then sort of by accident discovered trail racing did a trail race half marathon here outside Olympia. And it was a beautiful day in March, very unseasonal. And I was totally hooked. I was like, this is amazing. This gives me, I grew up sort of in the foothills of the Alps in Germany. And so it gave me, trail running gave me that adventure, that sort of that part where I always wanted to climb, but I didn't want to risk my life. And I wasn't good at it. I would have liked to do winter sport, but I never grew up with the skills for it and don't have the money for the lift tickets and stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so you try to find your adventure, especially if you live in the city, right? And it's like, where is your adventure? And trail running for me is sort of lowest risk adventure sport. Like, I don't think many people die, considering how many people do it running trails and i think you can sort of take it in a way where it really gives you this adrenaline rush even if you run through a city park and yeah it, it's super accessible you don't need much it doesn't require a whole bunch of gear i mean by now they have done it seven years it requires a lot of gear oh my gosh <laughs> always more gear but in general it is accessible and so that's how i got into trail running and um that's where I, yeah, that's how I got stuck with it, right? Yeah, that's amazing. I find that it itches this part of me that just wants to be like an explorer almost, mm. you know, and granted, I'm exploring a lot of times I'm exploring places with trails where it's obviously people have been there, but I've never been there. And so I get to go up there and spend a morning or spend a day just going exploring, seeing what's around the corner. And I think that's what kind of like hooks me too and i think that's something that probably hooks a lot of people i would guess have you found that like commonality yeah absolutely i think that there are sort of these two types of people that are into trail running right there are these aging aging collegiate marathon runners right the ones that really focus on pace and they've, <laughs> they've learned to work with a coach and they've always had this focus in their life of, and I'm, I'm not this you know dismissing it i think that is certainly a part of our community and a very valid part of the community. I've never came from this place. So for me, that's very foreign. I just, a few months ago, started working with a coach in order to kind of shake things up for myself. But for me, it's all about adventures. I wanted to stand on mountaintops. And if I don't run through the winter when the mountains are covered in snow, then come summer, I can't get up those mountains, right? And so for me, it's all about... Um, yeah, as you said, exploring, it's adventuring. I love finding new routes. I love sort of finding, and as you said, it, it is finding your own adventure. It's defining for you what that means. There is, I mean, we live in a time when every mountain has been climbed, right? I mean, these, these super crazy defined adventures don't really exist anymore, but um, you know, we can go and do a route that other people might take four days backpacking and we might do them in one day. Right? Yeah. Or we might do a race and we run through the night and that experience, I was just talking to someone else about it. This this feeling experience of running through the night is such a unique 
experience and such a unique feeling that I think it's absolutely fascinating. And it can be, yeah, in a city park for 24 yeah. hours. Or so. I saw you did a race called Run All Night or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there is a um, friend of mine here in town who every solstice winter and summer solstice he always comes up with a unique route and he come came up with a route that started at the footsteps of the capitol building here in olympia and ran all the way out into the capitol forest and then sort of traversed all the mountains hills um in the capitol forest and then essentially ran back and it ended up being like 40 47 miles i pushed it to 50 to finally get it get myself 50 miles under my belt but it was fun to yeah to explore like that right yeah yeah no that's what i think that's the idea like the choose your own adventure aspect you know you mentioned running i really liked what you just said about you run in winter a lot of times so you can do all those cool things in summer um how are you handling it because i know for me like all my runs are at like 4 30 in the morning in the dark and it's starting to like get on my nerves a bit where i'm like i just want to run in the sunlight again <laughs> i mean i'm sorry i have to admit that i run my own business so i don't have <laughs> specific times when i have to be yeah. in the office or logged in <laughs> like today is one of those days where um the sun is about to set here and i am been so busy that I couldn't get a run in, but I have the luxury of sort of scheduling my runs <laughs> yeah. around my business, which is, yeah, I mean, it's a huge privilege to be able to sort of have my running shoes ready. And so, okay, here's a meeting and there's an hour in between. Let's just hit it and come back. Right. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have that benefit. So yeah, in the winter times, I only run during the day because yeah. I can. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But you're still like, you know, not necessarily on the trails you would like to be on all the time, you know, like my favorite mountain, I live in, uh, like the suburbs of Denver and one of my favorite mountains is completely iced over, like all winter long. I'm like, ah, someday I'll be back up there. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, essentially you give up on um, trying to be in the mountains, even in the forests here, because we don't really get snow in town. We are at sea level, right? But yeah. we sometimes think, oh, you know, a couple nice days, let's hit the trails in the woods. And then it was a storm before and so so much blowdown on the trails that it's like, you know, you run out with your shorts and then you have to like climb over these gnarly branches and you're like, oh, that was a dumb idea. So, <laughs> yeah, you just kind of deal with it. That's cross training, you know? You exactly, just... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Well, yeah, a couple other ones that I wrote down. Well, I want to hear about your first uh, like ultra marathon. So you did a half marathon. Do you remember what your first one was? Like, yeah, I think the first ultra ultra was Squamish 50K okay. up in Squamish, British Columbia, Gary Robbins' race. I. I don't know. I mean, perhaps as a European, I when it came to races, I was immediately fell in love with the visuals of UTMB more so than the visuals of Hard Rock. 30 people um, gathering at the end of a dirt road, more so the spectacle of the, you know, start and finish in town and, yeah. you know, um, and music and everything. And so... The races that I started seeking out fairly early on, once I sort of started traveling, you know, beyond my immediate community, I wanted the big races. Uh, I wanted, I was, I, you know, took the Squamishes at the end of August. So you took the family up to Canada, you know, we added some vacation time. We were, I did my race and then we went up to Whistler and we spent a few days in Whistler. Um, and so, it, so yeah, Squamish was my first race and I like these these big races and it was, I mean, it was amazing. Right? I mean, Gary Robbins knows how to put on races. The course was, was super, super tough, but at the same time, also familiar because it's also coastal mountains, right? Yeah. It's the same elevate or altitude. It's the same kind of forest floor and stuff like that, right? I mean, it's a trail, so it's, it was comparable. Yeah. I've since done harder races. Yeah. Do you find like 
I don't know. Sometimes I want to run a race in like a completely different environment than what I'm used to. And not all the time. Like sometimes I like, you know, you know, you train on certain, you know, types of scenery and then you can go run on it and probably be more successful. Like, do you like traveling to all sorts of different ones? I've just noticed that you're a lot of times in the Pacific Northwest with your, with your races that I, in the runs that I saw. I mean, you know, it's a financial and commitment issue in many ways, right? It's, um, plus the DNFs don't show up. That's when I travel, right? I mean, it's, if you go to other places, it's harder to train and prepare yourself for and traveling takes something out of you Mm -hmm. that you need to compensate for. Um, and so I love the idea of traveling. I love the idea of sort of making your race a destination race and you sort of I'll do a big road trip or so so I like that especially not necessarily every race of course but sort of one a year where you really yeah take the family or you you know take a buddy and may do a big road trip yeah like um I think those are incredible experiences but they become super tough because I you know DNF Zion 100 and it's early season you know we like I mean I wasn't prepared for 90 degrees in April in the desert bone dry right and you train all winter in you know 100% humidity here in the Pacific Northwest and and it's yeah I just it's harder to prepare for that yeah totally totally I as I was looking, I I saw something on like the events that you've done called the, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, the Cushman Six. Yeah. I want to hear about the Cushman Six because that sounded completely badass. <laughs> well, I mean, we, you know, you, you talked about exploring. And when you mentioned it, I was hoping you bring up, would bring up Cushman Six. I'm <laughs> way too slow to do an FKT and that already existed and actually make it and make the fastest known time. And so for me, it's all about the only known time. I have to find routes that are worthy of being on the FKT website, but um, something that I can sort of scout out myself. And for years before running an FKT and FKT, this staircase region of Olympic National Park is probably the least frequent and the least talked about, but the most accessible from Olympia where we live, it's just a 45 minute drive. And there are these few mountains that are super accessible. They're just above Hood Sport by Lake Cushman. And they, you know, these trails out here are sort of um, they're done by a hiking group. So there is a trailhead and there's a trail leading up and down the mountain and that's it. And often there is no real connection point between them. And often once you go off tree line, the rock gets really shoddy. So it's hard to sort of traverse beautifully above, right? And then I heard about things like Nolan 14 and... um and the world, these these sort of these link-ups, right? Yeah. And I'm fascinated with these because this is sort of what we as trail runners are capable of doing, that mm-hmm. mountaineers might go into the vertical where, where it gets glaciered and difficult, right? But um, hikers don't ever, they're too slow to really do these link-ups without doing crazy backcountry stuff. Right? Yeah. And so... I've always looked at these mountains and, you know, like if you just take Mount Washington, Mount Eleanor, the first two peaks on that Cushman 6, Mount Eleanor is one of the most popular hiking mountains. I'm actually doing a race up and down Beast of the Creek on that uh, mountain now. But the one next to it is Mount Washington and literally right next to it. But there is no real trail and it's, you know, like... It requires some mountaineering skills, but it's totally doable. And I've always thought, you know, this needs to be able to, you need to be able to combine these. So I've sort of yeah. climbed all once individually and eventually I did some online sleuthing, found some back road, uh, trail that hardly anybody used. And so, um, yeah, it was actually September during COVID, uh, 
with major wildfire smoke. If you go to the website, mountelno.com and look at some of the photos, it's like crazy hazy. Yeah. And so we just, two uh, friends of mine with one guy who's really good at backcountry navigation, we just knocked it out in like, you know, way too many hours. <laughs> created sort of this link up. And because I'm a web designer, I build a website around it and we yeah. publish on FKT. And so now people are doing it, which is kind of fun. Dude, it looks amazing. It's so, I'll just tell you like the stats that you had on your website, but 23 miles, 12,000 feet of, of vert, like that looks so crazy. And yeah, what a cool like thing to say that you kind of like invented a route. That's so awesome. It's It was super fun and I love putting it out. And then the first two people who tried to repeat it, they told me the night before, or they told me before they were doing it. I gave them all the information that I could. I was super excited for them, super strong runners. I was like, no problem. And then the day off, it was getting dark and I was waiting for the Strava drop, right? And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I was like, oh shit, what is happening? <laughs> and then the next day, eventually Strava dropped and they essentially were too slow, got hit by darkness on one of the most exposed summits and had to spend the night because they couldn't on this on the mountain um, because they couldn't find a way down because they were wow. too, uh, it was too dark. And um, so they completed it then on a second day, but didn't actually get the last peak because they had to hurry on, but it didn't last so long. But all of a sudden, that whole idea of like, oh, I'm so proud of having put this route out yeah, became terrifying. like, oh my gosh, am I responsible if something goes wrong? So it was a little, you know, the funny thing is these summits, these mountains are all super accessible. Like, I mean, 23 miles, you're not far out. There are like many connection points. You never more than four miles from a trailhead, really, right? right? So it, you're not far off. You've got cell coverage most of the way. So it's a fairly safe route. But, you know, for trail runners, there are some exposed sections um, where you have to put the hand on the rock and and climb. Right? Yeah, yeah. Are you good with exposure? Or is that something that's... No, no, I absolutely... <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm absolutely terrified. I mean, it's... I wish I would be better. But I I can't handle it. I, yeah. I, I I want to do it, and every time I've done it, I feel majorly accomplished and proud and excited. But I'm also never in this place of like, oh yeah, let's just keep doing this forever. Like I'm like I'm good. I'm like okay. You get off the exposure, you just start kissing the ground, like oh, and a, a little <laughs> bit, right? I mean, you are accomplished. You're proud of having sort of. Um, endured this and fought through yeah, it and was totally necessary, right. I mean, yeah. I'm there is there's it's difficult because in in the Alps everything is so much more established because the thing with the exposure is twofold, right? There is the obvious immediate danger of like what happens if you slip and fall and die, yeah. But there's this other aspect of it which is are you actually in the right place and mm. in the Alps. So these routes, the most obvious routes, they're all clearly defined, right? On the most exposed section, there might be a metal rope that is permanently attached, right? Or there's yeah. a ladder, right? And so you know, yeah, you're in a crazy exposed section, but you know exactly where you need to be. And uh, here in the Olympic mountains and in general on the West, right? We don't really put stuff into the walls. And so you're you're out there and you're like, Am I actually in a place that gets me where I need to be? Is there a safer, more obvious, better place? I don't know. So sometimes yeah. it's tricky. And then there's like cairns that people have set up and you're like, oh, I'm following the cairns. And then you look to the right or left and you're like, there's another, there's more like 20 yards that way. And you're like, yeah. what, what am I supposed to do? It is. No, yeah, there's the whole route finding thing is like a whole different skill. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's a tricky thing. It's fun. It's great. Um, and, um, yeah, but it's not something I'm super comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, has there been any like misadventures along the way that you've had? I mean, like, has anything not gone exactly according to plan you had to adapt or, or has that ever 
Nothing really where yeah. I came back home and had to lie to my wife about what had happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm like, my wife trusts me. <laughs> um, and I think I've earned that trust. Yeah. 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 We've, I've come, I've come home s- several hours later mm. than I said I would. Um, and I've suffered a lot. Like when we did rim to rim to rim, I mean, digging out of the canyon, uh, you know, I mean, it was like crawling on all fours. And, um, and the never much... ending climb. It never know, ends. It's the craziest, like, we, I didn't, my friends all did rim to rim to rim. I was coming off like a calf injury, but I still, I did like probably like 35 miles of it, 30, some somewhere around over 30. And the climb out of there, it was never ending and nothing since then has seemed big like the whole drive yeah. back home i'm like none of these mountains look big none of these canyons look big this is insane yeah no it's it's absolutely insane what's well, great but i remember my wife like texting me and i you know i actually had cell coverage because i was so far below um the the rim that you know coverage yeah. actually lasted i'm just like I haven't heard anything from you. Where are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still on Bright Angel. That's where I am. <laughs> you know, and two hours later, yep, I'm still there. I'm still alive. <laughs> so, yeah. and we have been, they've been situation like that, but um, like in snow, you know, we've turned around at times yeah. when, when, you know, but nothing where I would look back and would have felt like, whoa, that was something that I really shouldn't have done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk. Can we talk a little bit? I want to hear about your Grand Canyon experience. Um, <laughs> one thing I really appreciated about it was the communal suffering that was going on on Bright Angel. Like, I felt like it didn't matter if you went 30 some miles, if you were doing rim to rim to rim or even the people who are just hiking down and doing like a six mile, you know, some people are just going the river and back up. That's more than six miles, but even people who are going down partway and going back up, everybody was mutually like in pain together. And I thought it was a really interesting experience. I'm like, here's all these people from everywhere, all over the country coming to the grand Canyon. And now we're all in pain together. And it's like an awesome experience to have. So, I mean, we were super slow. We we had a a cabin like 200 feet from the beginning, the trailhead of Bright Angel. And so we took the first hiker bus at like just before sunrise over to South Kaibab trailhead. Yeah. We dropped in at sunrise and everything was fine. And then my buddy halfway through up North Kaibab, and yeah. um, that's the long way into far end, right? Um, he just, you know, he died. He said, like, I'm, I'm, if I'm making it out to the back, I'm not going to make it back out. I have to turn around. And I was like, look, I'm, I think I was less than a mile and a half, two miles away from the top. I was like, I have to do this. Right? Yeah. And so what I went up by myself, turned around, caught up with him at Cottonwood uh-huh. Camp. And then we went together to, uh, yeah, and at the camp, we met somebody who says, oh, yeah, you know, you have a few miles, but there's Phantom Ranch, and they will have Gatorade for you. Everything's great. We show up, and we show up, like, right during dinner time, after dinner time, and we ask if we can buy some Gatorade. And they basically said, nope, you can't. You can't have anything because you're not a guest at Phantom Ranch. And I have since talked to countless people and everybody said, yeah, Phantom Ranch is the greatest place. They have like all of these. It's like so refreshing. Everybody takes care of you. And I'm like, yeah, that sadly didn't work for us because when we showed up, we were told, no, you know, we suffered from Cottonwood to Phantom Ranch. It's just like Gatorade's coming for us. Gatorade's coming for us. Right. <laughs> and then we show up there and like, nope, here is a tap with lukewarm water. Good luck. <laughs> we're so damn frustrating. <laughs> That would be so, devastating. 
it was it was awful. It was really, really awful. And every time I talk to somebody who says, Yeah, yeah, you know, Pen Range was great. We bought Snickers and whatever. And I'm always like, yes, you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. But yeah, um, that's yeah, that's crazy. So did you end up doing that climb out in the dark then, basically? Yeah, basically sun was just about to set as we crossed the river yeah and so essentially the entire climb out and therefore there was no camaraderie because we were the only camaraderie was the bugs and the scorpions we saw in the headlamp right that's a um, different camaraderie for sure i know i know for sure um so it was essentially just us sort of like digging ourselves out of the canyon but <laughs> that has to be weird in the dark too because you're like like you know i could still see that there was up like you still were going up but for you guys it had to be like how are we still going up this is insane oh yeah you know it was pitch dark and at that time my only gps was my phone i mean gps is notoriously bad in the canyon right yeah but even trying to track where we were was just super bad and so um we had absolutely no idea how much further where we were right and so especially when you're sort of halfway in right you see the night sky and you see the stars and then you see these areas when it's pitch dark where you know there is sort of one of those like canyon walls coming out right and you're like okay i guess we're still in it right it it was really really bizarre but also an absolute incredible experience and the nice oh, yeah. thing was we had one of those cabins literally held. 200 feet from the trailhead so we literally like crawled out and crawled over to the door of the cabin and like exploded there just collapsed like, yeah yeah we're done <laughs> no i love it i think it's an experience everyone should have i mean i i need to go back and do the whole thing like rim to rim to rim at this point like but even just going down to the bottom Cause there's something about seeing it from the top it's mind-blowing but once you go down the bottom like you really appreciate how crazy big that is yeah no absolutely i agree it's one of those weird things well it's sort of like the reverse of like being at mount rainier right i mean you see all these people at paradise looking up at the mountain and i haven't climbed the mountain all the way but they literally just take pictures of this you know powdered sugar covered um hill in the distance and that's their experience of the mountain and, yeah um the day after we walked along the rim and you see all these people sort of yeah looking at the grand canyon as a spectacle and you look across to the north rim and you look where that scar <laughs> makes it way up north kaibab and you're like yeah i was over there yesterday yeah it's the difference <laughs> between seeing the spectacle and then having experienced it yeah yeah for sure. that's yeah that's wild well i want to uh, we're gonna we'll have to wrap up a little early unfortunately which is a bummer because i feel like i could talk to you for hours and hours um i do want to hear about pacific northwest kind of trail running community what what makes the trail running community in the pacific northwest like stand out to you like what makes it special um in your eyes it's it's tough um that's a really tough question for me because i feel even after 20 years here now that I still feel like an outsider. Yeah. I think the Pacific Northwest trail running community would define itself and in embracing the small community trailhead race, fat ass style. Yeah. Um, especially looking at trail and ultra being really tough and highlighting the suffering and the gnarliness and um the rugged beards and stuff right <laughs> and i think that's what the trail running community would define itself for. and i'm just not that right i mean i love it here but at the same time i'm not that like i it I don't I don't mind what UTMB is doing. I, yeah. I enjoy um, you know, there there is a big grunge undercurrent here that wants to keep everything very homegrown and is afraid of corporate takeover and stuff. And I'm 
I'm I'm okay with that, right? I, I don't mind that you feel that way, but at the same time, I don't feel that way. I'm okay. Like if I don't know. I mean, if you team people would contact me and say, "Hey, you want to put on a race under um, our name?" I'd be probably um, very excited, about that. and I wouldn't be like, "Oh my gosh, how dare you!" I'm selling out to. I, I don't know. It, I don't know. Perhaps some people was going to hear that and think I'm an asshole, and that's <laughs> that's fine. And I I don't know. I just sort of. I experienced the outdoors growing up in a different light, right? The Alps for me mean you can have a super gnarly adventure in the, mount in the mountains. And then in the afternoon, evening, you come home and you sit in a street cafe and eat a pizza um, on uh, outside on a table with tablecloth, right? The, yeah. That combination in the Alps works. And yeah. it isn't immediately selling out to the corporate big guys, right? That's <laughs> it's something where that sort of can work in harmony. And so I sort of that's what I am dreaming of. Yeah. But I don't think that's really what the Pacific Northwest trail running community would define itself as, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. And so I mean, along with everything we just talked about, you as a trail runner and all that, you have all of these different kind of parts of the trail running community that you participate in, you know, like, uh, rock candy running and, uh, the trail running film festival and, and all of that. Can you just kind of like speak to those, uh, various like outlets for you right now? Yeah. I mean, I've always, <laughs> Okay, how to make this quick? I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to. Can you talk about everything you're doing, but do it like quick? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love I love being an entrepreneur, and so for me, if I spend five to seven days a week um, running, then I feel like I need to build this into my business. That's how I justify <laughs> doing yeah. it, right? Um, and so I've always tried to sort of make that make my love for the outdoors sustainable by building a business around it and um yeah so i mean i started these races partially speaking to what i've been saying because i love the idea of having trail races not be uh, bloody and gory and gnarly and right i mean i love the idea that Trail races can be for moms and for uh, dads who have their kids play at the playground while they run five miles to a, uh, through a city park yeah. and have that experience where you don't have to drive three hours up to some forgotten trailhead in the middle of winter to, to race uh, a half marathon, right? I think yeah. that's what sort of inspired Rock Candy Running is bringing trail running down to the level of the average person, right? It doesn't mean that there are going to be color bombs and glitter bombs on along the trail. That is, it's still single track, it's still trail, but it's more accessible. That's sort of my dream for rock candy running. And so that's cool. Now I'm organizing four races, and there's sort of a good mixture of everything, and um, yeah, and everything is very accessible in, in a sense, right? Yeah. Can you, uh, so trail running film festival and then your, your own podcast, can you kind of talk to me about like what those things mean to you and things like that? I mean, the podcast is a passion project. It doesn't make yeah. any money, but yeah. it's, oh, it's, I know, right. <laughs> but, but it's, it's the it's, thing. It's like, why do you do it? Oh, it's cause I get to meet cool people, you know, like that's, that's exactly why. it. That's yeah. exactly it. Right. So I started the original single track podcast, not the one that stole my name. Um, I've been doing the single track podcast now for almost five years. Oh, it used awesome. to be me and my buddy. And now I'm interviewing cool people. And yeah, just, just like you said, that's my way of connecting with people and telling the stories that I want to tell through the people that I meet. Um, and so... I, yeah, I tried to do this weekly and it's sort of a weird eclectic, eclectic mixture of, you know, the top ultra runner from Germany and then, you know, someone who's just finished their first 50K or so. That's like, cool. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to find a really, you know, 
big variety, which sometimes probably my audience gets whiplash, but I'm okay with that. I'm just like, you got to handle that. Um, so that's the podcast. And I think because I've done things very entrepreneurially and emailed to, to you know to my contacts professionally and stuff in September, October, the board that is um overseeing the organization that manages the trail running film festival they approached me and said hey you seem like you have too much time on your hand no <laughs> they said hey you seem like you might be passionate about it and you might be good at managing the trail running film festival james warner had started the film festival he retired from the organization the board loves the mission of the film festival but they needed a producer they needed somebody who can actually spend the time yeah sort of putting that new format put all together because we've done these virtual shows which were great success in expanding the brand into areas that we've previously didn't visit but um we wanted to get back out into theaters and that means you know talking to hundreds of people around the world wanting yeah. to host the film festival and sort of putting sort of a package together and that's what i've been doing over the last two months is uh, learning on the job trying to figure this out okay how do you build something that should has the potential to be as big as Real Rock or mm -hmm. Born Miller or Banff, right? And it's so accessible because running is an accessible sport and trail running blends into road running. So if, if there is a theater that shows it, then a road running group can easily come too, right? It's not exclusive to the gnarliness of trail running. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity there to sort of be the trail running film festival that tours every year. And yeah. You know, beyond giving filmmakers an outlet that is a different avenue beyond what the brands are sponsoring, right? Because, you know, I mean, the brands, they will make their films with the professional athletes and find these very unique stories. But there are filmmakers that like telling stories that are not really being... Um, consider they don't have the connection to these brands right yeah and we want to be that that outlet for these for, for for the rest of us if you will right that's cool um and so you know finding sort of that filmmaker connection and then working with the local hosts which that's where i'm super passionate about because these local hosts represent a film festival for us and so they get to now um, get a license from us to show two hours of film, but beyond that, bring their local community together, right? Mm -hmm. We build a festival on the ground in their community, in their town, where we we, we don't have to travel to, which is, is efficient and scalable, but we also are hands-off when we allow the community to say, hey, um, you know, in a big city, we might show it in a big theater and we, you know, have a big production with you know, sponsored booths and whatever, right? And in some smaller town, it might be out on a farm where um, they, they project a film on the side of a barn and there's going to be a brewery sponsoring and having a beer mile and stuff, right? I mean, yeah. so every community can sort of build their own festival. And that's been super fascinating to see how the hosts are sort of owning their community are excited about these films and sort of building building them into their community that's so cool i i want matthias i want you can you kind of like tell people where they can go for more information about that but then where they can also go to like follow your journey and kind of support you along the way absolutely so thank you trail film fest dot com is the website trailfilmfest.com is the website for the film festival that has all the info um if you're interested in hosting let us know we can find um i mean we can we can set up a meeting to discuss if you can host it somewhere uh whatever so there's that then um singletrack.fm is my podcast and like and subscribe and share <laughs> um <laughs> I usually I post, you know, 
similar what you're doing hour long weekly weekly yeah. shows with awesome people and then rock candy running is the website for my races awesome awesome man well i'll make sure to put all that in the show notes too so people can check that out um matthias thank you so much for coming on though this was awesome i loved hearing your perspective and like i said you just seem like a really community-based like person with trail running and it's just uh kind of fun to hear hear your thoughts and hear about your adventures absolutely i appreciate your time and letting me ramble on um for for an hour we said we could keep it short and i knew i couldn't keep it short i knew we could i scratched the surface here (laughs) chris thank you so much yeah thanks all right that wraps up this week's episode of the like a bigfoot podcast um huge thanks to matthias for coming on and chatting with me i just I think we both kind of mentioned this in the show, but really doing this, doing a podcast, I mean, it really has to be uh, something that you are truly enjoying for the process of. And the thing that I honestly love about doing this is being able to sit down and connect with all sorts of people um, who've done all sorts of different adventures. And, you know, when I was scheduling the podcast with Matthias, I didn't really know exactly what we were going to talk about. Um, And I didn't know much about Matthias, but like getting to just sit down and and chat for like 50 minutes really helps you get to know a person. And uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought it was super cool to get to hear about some of the the adventures he's been on to hear kind of his thoughts about trail running and community and, and all of that. And, um, doing the show every week really is, uh, a true pleasure. And I'm very much enjoying it just as much now, six years later as I was when I first started it, you know? So, um, and that's truly because of the people I've been able to talk with, uh, so just huge thanks to Matthias. Please go check out his stuff, uh, all the things that he mentioned at the end. Um, he's He does a lot, and it's awesome to see. It's, it's fun to talk with someone who is that passionate about this. Um, yeah, next week we will see what's going to happen. Life has gotten crazy busy, uh, and next week is always – it's funny, every year – um, the one, well, there's a few weeks that are really challenging to get the podcast ready to go and get interviews and, and all that. Um, and one of those weeks is parent teacher conference week as a teacher. Uh, so next week is parent teacher conference week. So basically what that means is two of the nights, uh, I'm going all night long talking to parents and things like that. Uh, so I'm hoping to get a podcast out next week. It might be either a day late or two days late, or we might even just have to to skip next week and, and jump in the week after. So we'll see. Uh, it's kind of up in the air, but, uh, but I'm excited. I have a few, I think I have like three or four uh, people we've been emailing back and forth to schedule a time and they're all awesome and they're all going to be, about a variety of different adventures um so yeah so come back check that out and uh we'll get back at you next week thanks for listening